I have 12 week olds who are sleeping completely through the night, 10 plus hours. I have 12 week olds who are waking up every two hours. Both are normal. Every child has their own path of when they meet different milestones, whether it's sleep, whether it's walking, whether it's talking. Today is all about busting the most common myths about sleep and helping your kids and you get a little more of it. We're going to be talking about myths that limit our understanding of children's sleep, but also myths that increase parenting guilt and reduce confidence in ourselves and in our children when it comes to nurturing sleep. So in my opinion, these are myths that really need to be busted. I'm joined by certified infant and child sleep consultant and the founder of Lolo Lullaby, Lauren Wolf. Lauren has so much knowledge, both from her studies in the field and from being a mom of two herself. So sit back, relax, and let us help you catch a few extra Z's this week. Do you sometimes feel that while you love parenthood, it's also overwhelming, messy, confusing, and not exactly what you thought it would be? Do you wish you could stop worrying if you're doing it right and just feel confident trusting yourself? If that sounds like you, you are not alone. I kept hearing the same thing over and over in my clinical practice, and that's exactly why I created The Authentic Parent, finding your confidence in your child's first year. Whether you're a brand new parent or maybe you're thinking about how to approach a second or third child with a different set of skills, in this six-week virtual course, I will teach you the fundamentals of psychology, neurobiology, and child development, and I'll walk you through integrating this new knowledge into your own unique family. I will help you learn to tune out the noise so you can feel confident responding to any parenting problem that arises, connect authentically with your child, and truly enjoy parenthood. Because this is a guided course with access to me as your coach, enrollment is very limited. Make sure to sign up for the waitlist and you'll get access to register for the course before doors open to the public. Go to my website, drsarahbren.com forward slash TAP to sign up and learn more. Knowledge leads to power and power leads to confidence. Don't miss your chance to take part in the authentic parent and learn to confidently move through parenthood during your child's first year. Hi, I'm Dr. Sarah Bren, a clinical psychologist and mom of two. In this podcast, I've taken all of my clinical experience, current research on brain science and child psychology, and the insights I've gained on my own parenting journey and distilled everything down into easy to understand and actionable parenting insights so you can tune out the noise and tune into your own authentic parenting voice with confidence and calm. This is Securely Attached. Hello, I'm so excited about today's guest. I have with me today Lauren Wolf, the founder of Lolo Lullaby. She is a brilliant sleep consultant and I am just really cannot wait to like like launch questions at you because I myself have two children who one is an amazing sleeper, but one I've definitely consulted with you on her before. She doesn't, she doesn't like to sleep like, like my son, but today we're really going to do some, some exciting myth busting about sleep. So, but before we get into that, I just, can you tell us a little bit about the work that you do and 
how you got into this work. Yeah, definitely. Um, well, like you, I'm a mom of two, and I have two girls who are newly five and almost three. And, you know, when I had my first daughter, I felt very prepared on a lot of fronts. Like I took a childbirth class. I took a CPR and choking class. Um, you know, I felt like there were a lot of resources out there that were kind of at my fingertips. But I quickly learned that I didn't really know anything about baby sleep. And, you know, five years ago, of course, there was social media, but not to the degree like it is now. So, you know, when I joined a new mom's group, everyone just talked about sleep at every session. That's all anyone wanted to talk about was sleep. And that's kind of how I learned, right? Like I didn't know that baby slept like ultimately 12 hours. Like I didn't know anything about schedules or wake times or anything. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, I had a, a very good sleeper from the start, um, in terms of nighttime, terrible at daytime. And I ended up calling a sleep coach, you know, when she was like four months, five months because she wasn't napping. And, I was so intrigued by the 15 minute call I had. Like I just learned so much and I was like, why isn't this information available? And and I was, I just was really passionate about it. I started reading books about sleep and decided to, um, you know, take my passion a step further and, and become certified. So I went through a six month training program through the family sleep Institute all while I was working still full time in the corporate world. And, you know, after I became certified, I kind of you know, was doing it on the side a little bit. And then, you know, I decided, you know, this is what I want to do full time. I really want to try and make a career out of this. So I've been, you know, doing it full time for a few years now. And I absolutely love it. I think um, I really love connecting with other parents and helping parents, one, feel less alone in this crazy world of baby sleep. And two, just, you know, to help get information out there, right? And tools to help families, you know, set a healthy foundation foundation from the beginning and apply tools that you can, that can grow with your child over time. So, um, I work one-on-one with families. I also offer, you know, pre-recorded webinars and, um, I'm excited to be here today. I love talking about sleep. (laughs) Yes. And I feel like it's interesting because we've been talking a little bit in preparation for this episode about the things that you, the common things that you come across and the common worries that parents have and the some of the pitfalls. And it, it was so striking to me that there are so many parallels in like my work with what you do. Like, I feel like parents have a lot of myths and like, like, you know, beliefs that they have to do something a certain way exactly, or can't do something a certain way ever. And there's so much guilt and there's so much worry and doubt. And I think sleep, it it's it fall. It's very very similar. Like definitely. What do you, what do you see? What is the most common yeah. question that you're getting asked by parents? Well, you know, I think a lot of my conversations start with um, I ruined my baby, or everything mm-hmm. so far has been my fault. I, I I'm responsible for this. I created bad habits. And I find just so many conversations with clients start with so much self-blame with sleep mm-hmm. um, when really, you know, sleep is just so challenging in the beginning, right? And, and we have to teach our babies to sleep just like we teach them how to ride a bike, just like we, you know, work on separation with nursery school, right? These things don't just happen one day and they're perfect. It's, it's a process. There's a lot of preparation. Um, 
you know, there will be times where it's really hard. Um, and then times where it's, you know, a little bit easier and more intuitive. Um, so, you know, I, I really always try and educate my parents that there's, there's no bad habits that can't be undone, you know, um, just like us, right? Like we all have bad habits every day that we're working to, to maybe improve. Um, like I'm, you know, trying to use social media less and I'm trying to, you know, um, yeah, whatever you name it there, we're, we're always working to improve things. So nothing can't be undone. So I, I always spend mm-hmm. a lot of time preaching that for sure. Um, but yeah, and I think, you know, so there's a lot of conversations too. Well, you know, my friend has this four month old and, you know, he's taking, you know, two, two hour naps, for example. And, and why isn't my baby doing that? And, mm-hmm. you know, I'm on the other side of the phone always where I have four calls a day with four month olds who are not napping. So to me, right. when I hear a story about a four month old who's taking, I'm like, who is this, this fairy baby, you know, like, right. so, but in their mind, you know, that's now they're comparing their child to that baby. And what, what am I doing wrong that my child is not sleeping like that? I've, I, I recently had a call with somebody who said, I think my baby's going through the eight week sleep regression. And I said, there is no regressions like in the first few months of sleep. Like it's a constant progression. Your baby is constantly evolving. Sleep patterns are changing. Their needs are changing. Like their their um, gastrointestinal. Yeah, exactly. Like their eat their food needs are changing. Their you know everything is changing so much. So I always say you might have had two amazing nights. Don't expect to be the third night to be perfect. Like growth is not linear with sleep. It's going to be a constant up and down, honestly, for the first like year. Um, you know, of course, a lot of things get smoother after five, six months, I feel, but there's always change, right? Your baby starts crawling, sleep gets affected. Your baby starts walking, sleep is affected. Your baby starts talking, sleep can be affected. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's just, there is a constant roller coaster the first year. Um, but what's really interesting is you're laying out all these examples of how children sleep naturally kind of ebbs and flows with their development. And it's, and you know, but what parents are experiencing or what they're interpreting as they watch their child's sleep move forward and backward and forward and backward and is they're internalizing, I'm causing this, I'm messing this up. And I think there's two possible reasons why that's happening. One is that they don't understand, like there's just not enough knowledge out there collectively about what's normal sleep behaviors, what are appropriate expectations developmentally of children. And I see this again, there's a parallel. I see the same thing in my clinical practice where I have parents who are like, my kid's doing all these things and it's freaking me out. And in reality, many of the, most of the time, very often, those things that they're observing are really developmentally appropriate behaviors, but parents don't know. And they're not supposed to know. We're not born, you know, the day we have a child, we don't like get in downloaded into our brain, like, right, you know, tremendous knowledge all of a sudden about child development and sleep development and all this stuff. So we're not supposed to know this, of course. It's not, and that's the other piece is that we're blaming ourselves for not having this information. And it's, it's causing a lot of distress among parents. It's causing them to worry and doubt themselves and have a lot of anxiety. So like, I think how, what can we do in this episode to help parents 
feel a little bit more grounded, feel a little less anxious, feel a little less responsible. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's, it's for sure. I think that's such an important message. And I think, you know, again, I always say on my side of the phone, because everything is virtual now, is, you know, everything is normal, right? So I have 12 week olds and we kind of were talking about this before we recorded who are sleeping completely through the night, 10 plus hours. I have 12 week olds who are waking up every two hours. Both are normal, right? Every, mm-hmm. it's, every child has their own path of when they meet different milestones, whether it's sleep, whether it's walking, whether it's talking. Um, so, you know, again, some babies are born naturally good sleepers, I think. Um, I'm going to give the example of my first daughter who I, I want to say at nine weeks old was sleeping like seven to seven. And I didn't really do anything. I mean, I swaddled her. I tried to get her to bed at a somewhat reasonable time every night. But like, that was it. Like I was feeding on demand. I wasn't on a daytime schedule. She wasn't taking good naps. And, you know, she just stopped waking up. And um, Mm -hmm. my second daughter, who I actually tried to be a lot more methodical with her sleep when she was born, because at that point I was doing what I'm doing now. Terrible, terrible night sleeper. (laughs) Um, Like definitely, I remember like feeling even in our marriage, like it was really hard. Like we were constantly arguing about what to do and when to do it. And it was hard. So I'm glad that I've been on both sides because I think I can really, like, I have a lot of parents who call me who have the same story, either like their first child was an excellent sleeper, second was terrible or vice versa. Um, So, you know, I had to sleep train the younger one um, and that was hard, Um, but I'm glad I did it. You know, it worked for my family. And um, yeah, so I think, you know, every baby is so different. So I always, you know, don't compare yourself to anyone else. And, you know, it, it, it's like really what type of parent you are. So I find that people call me a lot, you know, asking, well, my, you know, my friend did this method of let's say mom's on call. So, you know, what do you think? And I'm like, well, listen, if you are the type of person who you want to be very scheduled and that works well for you, then yes, like you could try a method like that. But if the idea of being on a very, very tight schedule with very little flexibility feels um, like it's going to be overwhelming or stressful, then you don't have to do that. Um, So I think that's what's hard, right? Is there's so many different approaches out there to really all sleep, newborn sleep, toddler sleep challenges, it doesn't, there's no right or wrong. You just kind of have to pick what works for you. And that's why it's hard. It's not like, this is what you should do. It's like, here's option A, B, C, or even D. And you know, what, what, what do you think will be the best for your family? Um, and even like, I, I'm going, I'm kind of all over the place, but I worked with a mom of a three or three and a half year old recently who was having you know, struggles. He was getting out of his bed at night. He was wanting the mom or dad to fall asleep um, in his room, things like that. Things that were becoming very challenging for the parents. The mom mm-hmm. was pregnant. Um, so it was an interesting conversation because she said, you know, I've asked all my friends what they've done and they've mm-hmm. all worked with different sleep coaches and they've all had different, they all did different things, right? 
So, uh-huh. and she's like, and my friend told me what she, her sleep coach told her. And it, it, I didn't feel like that was right for, for my child. Uh-huh. And it's just so interesting because just because one sleep coach did that for a different child, it doesn't mean it's going to be right for your child. Right. Um, and there's no like knocking it. It's just like, you know, I might have two different three and a half year olds with the same kind of challenge, but after spending an hour on the phone with a family, I might make different recommendations based on little tidbits of information they've told me. And I'm like, you know what? I'm not going to go down that road. I can tell the family might, that might not be the best. Um, so, so I think what we're really talking about here is busting that myth that there is one right way to do this. Exactly. And I have to figure out what that one right way is. And in reality, I think, you know, and I will say this a thousand times probably on this podcast, but it's not what you do. It's how you do it. And it's knowing how to be attuned to your child. So each child's going to have a very different they might, like you said, they might have the same sleep challenges, yes. but how we support them through those challenges, how we help them learn strategies to fall asleep that work for them yeah. is going to require a nuanced, attuned understanding of that kid and also the family system as a whole, because a right. kid doesn't learn to sleep all alone. Right. Like you were saying, like that mom who, you know, maybe has the tolerance for a really highly regimented sleep, sleep learning or sleep training pro- process can handle that kind of thing. Whereas like I would lose my mind, like I, it wouldn't work for, it could work for my kid, but it wouldn't work for me and it has to right. work for both of you. Right. Yeah. And I think too, you know, going back to the myths, um, I think a lot of people will try sleep training and they'll say, well, we tried X method and it didn't work. And I'll say, well, explain to me what you mean it didn't work. And they'll be like, well, you know, he cried for X amount of time. Or, you know, the the book or the internet said it was going to take two days. And by day three, we weren't where we're at. So we thought this is not working. And I always say, listen, you could like one, again, I'm going to go back to the riding a bike example. I, I have a, my little brother, the first day he learned to ride a bike, he started riding down the street, like at three years old. And then there's, you know, Jennifer who it took her two months to learn how to ride a bike. It doesn't mean it's not working. It just means that there's two different kids who are going to learn at different, different rates. So you know, your sleep training method. Yes. Some kids night two sleeping through the night. Some kids, it takes two weeks. It doesn't mean it's does not working. It just means it might be taking your child a little bit longer and that's okay. That does not mean it's not working. That doesn't mean you're a failure. Just so I always try and demystify like sleep training is going to take one night. Sleep training is going to take two nights. Usually not. Have I had those cases? Absolutely. Is it the exception to the rule? Yes. Always. It usually takes one to two weeks to see significant improvement to sleep, to be honest. And I think that's also why it's nice to, obviously, it's a privilege to be able to work with a sleep coach. Although the resources out there from from really well-vetted sleep experts are becoming more accessible. Like you have great sleep courses on how to drop from two to one naps. And like, but I do think having somebody who can reassure you, who can say, hey, you know, you 
keep going. You're, it's okay. Like, yeah. don't give up yet. Yeah. And let's fine tune it here and let's fine tune it there. But I think sometimes yep. parents think, okay, like you said, like they have a preconceived notion in their mind for how long it's supposed to work. And if it doesn't do it, if it's not working by then, it's deemed unsuccessful and it's abandoned. Um, so that might be another important myth to bust, which is yes. there is, you know, it either works or it doesn't. It's like it might be working. You just might not realize it's working because it takes a while. To your earlier point, I sometimes will compare a sleep coach to like a health and fitness coach, right? So like we all know, let's say your goal is to lose weight. We all know how to lose weight, right? We eat less and we exercise more, right? Or some formula of that. But why do people hire a fitness coach or a dietitian or something because they need they need more like they need accountability they need support they need more resources they need to help fine tune you know what should i get at the grocery store they need someone to check in they whatever it is you just need someone to support you and to give you to help you with accountability and so that way you know after 2 weeks of your fitness program if you haven't lost weight you have someone on the other end who's going to be like, this is normal. You're doing great. It might take you a little bit longer to, you know, it's very, there's so many parallels I feel like. And, Mm -hmm. you know, when I explain that to people, like they get it because most people like intuitively, you sometimes know what to do to get your child to sleep, but you're like, I, I need to get from A to B and I I need help doing that. Um, yeah. yeah. I feel like another myth that's, or maybe a couple different myths that are sort of kind of tied together is that comes up sort of with a lot of what we're talking about is that we are responsible for our children's sleep and that if they're not sleeping, I'm in some way a bad parent or I'm failing at this. Yes. I love that. And one of my like favorite quotes is I always say it's a little more specific, but I always say it's our job to offer the nap and it's their job to take the nap. Right. So it's a very specific example, but I always tell parents, here's what we can control. The timing of sleep, the environment of sleep, um, you know, so schedule, sleep environment, and, you know, we can make sure our baby has the skills to put themselves to sleep, for example. But other than that, we can't control when they fall asleep, when they wake up. So you might have this perfect schedule. You have a perfect sleep routine. Everything's great. Your child's taking an hour to fall asleep, and maybe they're waking up an hour earlier than your desired wake time. There's that. There might be a case where you're not doing anything wrong. So you're you're checking all the boxes you can, and the rest is just going to be up to them. Or you just have to learn, like, okay, I there's I can't control that. Um, and I always tell parents, like, for early rising, which is a very common common sleep problem. You know, again, if we've checked all the boxes, schedule looks good, sleep hygiene, sleep environment, child still waking up at 5, 5.30, I say, here's what we control. We can control what time we start their day, what time we take them out of the crib, and we have to be okay with that, and it's probably going to be a phase, and then it's going to get better. Um, so yes, I think, again, we, we, we have limited control, right? So mm-hmm. especially with like my daycare parents very, like a lot of struggles there because 
some kids don't sleep that well at daycare or the daycare has them on one schedule that might not be their ideal schedule. So I get a lot of calls with parents, especially right now, like September, a lot of kids are going Mm -hmm. back into daycare or school environment where maybe they've been home for 18 months and parents have had complete control over the schedule. And now their child is going into, you know, unchartered territory. So yeah. You know, just talking about here's what we can control. Can't control what happens at daycare. We can have conversations with the providers. Um, you know, we can do our best, but you know, what we control is bedtime during the week and the weekend schedule. And we have to trust that our child is going to learn to adapt to the new environment. And they will, right? But it might take mm-hmm. an uncomfortably long time. It might take a month. Um, so just focus on what you can control. I love that so much because I also think, like we said, it that myth that I'm responsible for this and if it's not working, I'm failing as a parent creates so much pressure on the parent to dive deeper into control, right? Yeah. If you think it's my job to control this and if I don't, I'm a failure, you are going to be highly motivated to double down on control whenever something's not working. Yes. And it sounds actually like the antidote to yes. the child's sleep issues. It's not control more. It's let go more. It's accept more, trust more, step away a little bit. Definitely. And, you know, that's a good segue into, you know, for toddler sleep, especially, and you're, you could probably be an expert in this as well. But when I have calls with toddler parents, I really talk about how we can give more choice and more control to the toddlers during the bedtime routine. Now, maybe that means, um, you know, Mom and dad get to pick out how many books we read at night, but child gets to pick out which books they read. Mom and dad get to pick, um, or, you know, they don't have a choice whether or not they can brush their teeth, but maybe you get two toothbrushes, a purple one, a blue one. Every night they get to pick which toothbrush they use. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, maybe you get out two sets of pajamas. They get to pick the green or the blue, right? So they don't understand that you've kind of calculated these choices for them. They just feel like, oh, I get to pick my gems. I get to pick the books. I get to pick my toothbrush. When really, like, we've kind of set that up for them. Yes. But trying to make bedtime really more collaborative versus combative, I think, can be really important, right? Because they go around all day with zero decision-making power, whether at home or at school. And so they kind of crave that ability to have a choice and have a say, Um, so, you know, adding in those choices throughout the bedtime routine can really help. It's funny that you say that because I literally kind of guide parents to do the exact same thing for other types of power struggles. Cause really for toddlers, bedtime is a power struggle, right? You want me to go to bed? I don't want to go to bed. Who's going to win this? Guess what? It's your kid because there's certain things that they can control that we have no say in. One of which is if if they sleep, the other is, you know, if they eat, like if they actually put food in their mouth, um, screaming is a big one. You know, we can't stop our child from screaming (laughs) These situations where like we, we actually literally are not going to be able to stop it from happening or make it happen. It's like you're, you can either, if you recognize that you don't have control over that, not getting into a power struggle over those particular things is very valuable. But the thing you were saying about authentic choices, I always tell parents, like whenever you're noticing an uptick in power struggles, whether it's at sleep or mealtime or wherever, chances are your kid is not getting enough opportunities for choice. Any, like 
out, you know, in jet, like look for ways to add that authentic choice in as much as you can, wherever you can throughout the day, because that aggregate sense of control that a child gets when they get to really choose stuff pays off. It, it builds up and then they have less of a need to dig in. Yes in certain times. It doesn't make power struggles go away. If I could come up with a way for that to disappear, I would be, you know, that's a whole nother level of, <laughs> but it certainly helps. Yeah. So I'm thinking too, like, cause that, when you're talking about toddler sleep and this idea of offering them more choice, giving them more opportunities to feel like they're a part of the process. Um, I, that makes me think also about like the level, the level of separation anxiety, or the role that separation anxiety plays in toddler sleep, which I think taps yes. into another really big myth in sleep, which is separation anxiety around sleep is a problem that needs to be fixed. It's a sign that something's wrong. Right. How do we bust that myth? Because that's a big totally. One. And yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because I'm thinking back to that same three to three and a half year old who I worked with a few weeks ago. And the mom said, like, I feel like I'm the only one going through this with our kids. Like, mm-hmm. you know, why, why is, why is everyone else's kids just go to bed? And I'm like, no, 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 they don't <laughs> like me here, other side of the phone. Like, it's just funny because again, I just, I, I see these cases every single day, every single week. And yes, like our kids crave proximity to us, right? So all of a sudden, you know, we separate at bedtime, you know, in a dark room for 12 hours. Yeah, like that's hard. Um, and then I find there's a lot of challenging questions. Well, you know, why do you and daddy get to sleep in the same bed? And I have to sleep alone in my bed, you know, and it's, it's, it's hard, you know, and sometimes we feel like, oh, geez, yeah, this is, this is tricky. Like, how do I explain this to my kid? Um, Because I understand, like, I I think, you know, trying to really understand where they're coming from. Right. And then Mm -hmm. once you can connect there and understand it, I think that's big. Um, And validating, I understand that you're scared and, you know, or you don't want to sleep alone. Um, is always, you know, want to make sure that they feel heard. So that's always an important piece. But yes, it's very, very, very normal. And, um, you know, I, I think too, one tip I always try and give is try and add in five or 10 minutes of one-on-one playtime with your child, either before or after like bath time, for example. Um, you know, no phones, no distractions, which were all you know, we're all guilty of that, right? We're eating dinner, we're looking at our phone. We get, you know, we're always, at least me, I feel like I'm always distracted. I'm trying to make an effort of just separating, like, you know, and it's hard for my job because I have a job where clients depend on me to be on the other side of the phone for a text message when they're in a tricky situation. So I have to set boundaries too, Mm-hmm. where, you know, my responses might not be right away, you know? Um, and that's hard for me. Um, but, you know, I do think it's important for to send a message to our kids, like before bedtime, like let's focus on connection time. So can we play a game? Can we do Play-Doh? Can we do a puzzle together? One-on-one, really connected. Can we name it, make it a special time? Um, you know, and, and, you know, psychologists like you would say, you know, filling their bucket, right? Like, can we fill yeah. their bucket up a little bit before bedtime? 
to kind of maybe help lessen that anxiety going into bedtime. Yeah. And it, it does work for a lot of kids. Does it work for every kid? Of course not. But it, it does help in a lot of situations. And I've seen it myself with my own kids. Yeah. My family, so we do this sort of ritual for bedtime okay. that often surprises people, but, but I actually think there's a very important reason why we do it. And so after dinner, we go upstairs and the the deal is you got to brush teeth, you got to get your jammies on, and then we can have a dance party in mom and daddy's room. And we play music, we dance, we jump on the bed, we and we do a lot of like sort of rough and tumble play in this period yep. of time. And this is like right before bed. And people, I know a lot of people are like, I thought we have to have these wind down and yeah. like tranquil experiences before bed. And when my kids want to run around, we have to stop it. And when my husband wants to wrestle with the kids, I have to yell at him and stop it. And I think this is, again, this is, this works for my family. It doesn't work for everybody. Some kids do do very well with that calm, tranquil evening, but a lot of kids who resist it, my thought is lean into that. Your child's body is telling you something. They need to move. They have pent up energy that needs to be released. And the rough and tumble play piece, specifically like the dance parties where we're jumping and we're dancing and I throw, like I'll swing them onto the bed or dip them upside down because that, those kinds of movements where your, their body's going upside down. It's really like a sensory input, you know, experience, right? It calms down the nervous system. It actually activates the parasympathetic nervous system. Definitely. So it's, despite the fact that it appears to be rowdy, it's calming down their body and it's helping them to get ready for sleep. So it's counterintuitive. And I know it kind of goes in the face of what I think a lot of people have thought was the rules around evening time, but it's worked so well for my kids to get that out before bed. And they do, they go to bed. Like they can come, they can turn, they can switch out of that phase. And they, we know the routine then is we go into a, you know, I take my daughter into her room. And my husband takes my son into his room and we do story time and bedtime. And that's it. That's our routine and it it works for us. Yeah. No, I think that's great. I'm happy you brought that up because, um, agreed. I think a big myth is, you know, Zen before bedtime. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I've worked with a handful of clients over the years who have actually brought in an occupational therapist because, you know, one, I'm not an expert there. Um, but I would kind of hear some things that led me to believe maybe there's some like sensory seeking behaviors happening before bedtime. Um, or, you know, kids who bang their head on the crib or, you know, there's different behaviors. Um, and bringing in an occupational therapist, um, to teach them some pre bedtime, changes in the routine. And a lot of them are like running into a pillow over and over or, you know, all these things to help kind of get that sensory input and, you know, increase activity before bedtime. And it really helped with sleep and for settling into sleep. So yes, I think I agree with you. Um, I think it's a great thing to experiment. Um, and I, I'm, I'm definitely all for it. Amazing. Um, I also feel like we would be remiss if we didn't talk a little bit about sort of common unrealistic expectations about developmentally appropriate sleep behavior. Cause I, yeah. I, I feel like you must get 
a lot because you know and i think this goes to the whole idea of comparison or not having all the information and so obviously a parent has maybe one maybe two or three case studies right your own children and then a handful of people around you that are you know doing something you know whether it's working or it's not working but that's not actually like a lot of data points yes and so the sort of point of reference for a lot of parents is arbitrary and random and not not necessarily a, an accurate depiction of what's an appropriate behavior. Yeah. It's like, I think it leads to a lot of people having really unrealistic expectations of their kids. And I also think there's a societal piece of like the good baby, bad baby kind of conversation about like good babies sleep all night and bad babies don't. And people asking like, is your baby a good baby? Are they a good sleeper? Like, mm, I hate that. Questions. I hate oh. that. <laughs> I mean, way to add to a mom's potential postpartum anxiety or postpartum depression or whatever it is when they're already not sleeping, struggling, and then, you know, someone said, oh, are, are they a good baby? Are they sleeping? You know, it's, it's we, we have to get out of that as a society um, and, you know, normalize, you know, that baby struggle with sleep for a mm-hmm. long time and normalize that it's hard to fix these problems. And normalize that not everybody wants to do that, right? So not everybody wants to sleep train, not everybody, and that's okay. Um, And yeah, I think, um, you know, there's a lot of information out there now. There's a lot of books, there's a lot of Instagram accounts, um, you know, different things that are really pushing um, having your baby sleep through the night by 12 weeks. That is like a big one now. So whether it's like the 12 by 12 book or the, um, there's a recent one called full feedings. I think, um, I'm hearing about from clients and things like that. Mom's on call, different programs. Right. And you know, it's, it's hard because the new standard is sleeping through the night by 12 weeks, which is just not normal. Right. And so now I, I even get clients who just, yeah, at, at 13 weeks, they'll say, okay, well, my child is sleeping seven to five 30. Like, how do I get rid of that early rising? And I'm like, your child is sleeping 10 and a half hours straight at 13 weeks. Like that is incredible. Like if anyone's telling you it should be better than that, they're wrong. And I even speak, I even have a post on my Instagram account that says not all babies sleep seven to seven. And it's true because everybody wants their baby to sleep seven to seven. And it's like, Someone's created that that is the new expectation. So if your baby's sleeping 7.30 to 6, that's not good enough. Like, it's crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I, w- I mentioned earlier before we started recording that I have a family member who has a nine-week-old who, you know, came up to me this morning or this weekend. We were talking about baby sleep. And she, I said, you know, she said, oh, I, I need to schedule a call with you soon. I'm like, oh, okay. Like, is everything okay? She's like, I don't know. You tell me. And like, well, what's, tell me what's going on. She's like, well, like he's nine weeks. He's waking up once around 3 a.m. to eat. And I'm like, that's it? And she's like, yeah. And I'm like, that's incredible. And she's like, well, yeah. But then like last night he woke up at 1 a.m. to eat and the book said, you know, don't feed him. And and it's just the stress of like, the book yeah. is telling me I have to consistently move in this direction to see progress. Mm-hmm. And I wish the books would say, it's okay to have up and down a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. It's like climbing yeah. a mountain. Sometimes you have to go down to go up. And it doesn't mean that you're not going to get to your goal. It's just 
they're not, they're not robots. They're going right. to have bad nights. They're, they're just, they're, we have bad nights. Like my, my husband was up like in the middle of the night all last night. I don't know why. Like, I was like, what happened? Like, are you okay? What happened last night? He's like, I don't know. I couldn't sleep. I was up. I was like, yeah, like you're a human, right? You have bad nights of sleep even as adults. Um, so yeah, I think again, there's so much pressure to get your baby sleeping through the night really early. Um, and honestly, even now, like there's pediatricians who are pushing sleep training at the three month mark, which is not great. Yeah. Um, when what's is interesting, good, yeah. When is a good time? Cause like I have lots of thoughts on, I'm actually in favor of sleep learning, you know, some yeah. forms of it. I don't yeah. believe that, yeah. you know, and I'm all about fostering secure attachment relationships and creating safety with our kids. Yeah. I don't yeah. believe it's for every family and I don't right. think everyone has to do it. Um, but I do think that it is absolutely okay to do it. And I think that you can very, very effectively help your child learn how to fall asleep by themselves without damaging the safety of that relationship. Yeah. I yeah. will say that they, again, it's the how that one does that and the when for babies. I do think that it, it can be done too early. What is your, I'm curious, your yeah. thoughts on that? Yeah, I totally that. agree with that. Um, so I think when people say what's the right time to sleep train, my answer is when you're ready. Because mm-hmm. I really believe that the parent and both parents have to be ready to make a change, wanting to make a change. Mm-hmm. If you're not ready and if you're not wanting to make a change, it's not going to go well. So sometimes like I do a lot of like those complimentary 15-minute calls. And if somebody's interested in sleep training, I really spend a lot of time kind of understanding where they're at and, it, mm-hmm. and, and if it's the right time for them to sleep train. And if I sense that there's kind of hesitation, I'm just like, you know what? Let like just revisit later. Like you, you want to be ready. You want to make sure it's the right time. I see this especially with um, reflux babies. The parents have a really hard time knowing when to sleep train uh-huh. because they don't know if the baby's crying because they're in pain from the reflux, or if they're just you know crying because they're frustrated. They don't know how to put themselves to sleep. So I always encourage waiting a little bit longer until the reflux um, subsides and gets better so that you as a parent know that your child's not crying because they're in pain from the reflux because that is going to be horrible for you if you're like second guessing things. So I I don't like that at all. Um, If you're ready to sleep train and it's something you really want to do, I think four to five months is a great time. Um, You know, I think before then, I personally think it's too early. I just think, you know, I have an example of somebody who was at a certain practice in New York City who was kind of pushed to sleep train around 10 weeks, I want to say. And they had called me for some schedule questions. And you could tell that there was a lot of crying and they felt horrible about it. And they didn't. and, And I said, when your baby's so young, like something feels not right when your baby's crying. Like we don't want our babies to cry at all, really, right? No one wants their baby to cry. But Mm -hmm. I do think when they're a little bit older and you kind of know their needs are more met and you know that they're more capable of self-soothing and things like that, there's a little bit more of a comfort to being like, okay, I I trust. I've checked all these boxes and, you know, there's a lot of research out there. Um, 
And I, I really think it's just as a confidence thing, right? Mm-hmm. So like a lot more people feel confident when they get to a stage where the baby's a little bit older. Um, when they're younger, you know, under four months, I think people are, they don't feel good about it, right? No one feels good about sleep training. Like it's hard, but like you feel more, more like, okay, I'm ready to make the changes. I think my baby's ready. And again, I think everybody comes to that time at a different point, right? And so I have, you know, parents who come to me with an 18 month old and they say, is it too late? And I'm like, it's never too late. Mm-hmm. Are we going to do things a little differently than we would if you had a four month old? Yes. Is it going to take maybe a little bit longer? Yes. But um, it's always possible to make, you know, changes unless there's, you know, an underlying like health concern or something. Right. I think, I mean, I could talk to you about this for hours because <laughs> like I have so many sleep questions. So we'll have, you have to come back because we'll have to bust some more myths. Yes. Um, so many. Thank you so much. And, and if people want to learn more about the work you're doing or watch one of your sleep courses or book one of those complimentary 15 minute calls, like how can they get in touch with you? Yeah. So my um, website, everything you just book directly on my website. You don't need to reach out to me. My whole calendar is there. You book appointments there, which is really nice. Um, All my pricing is there. All my webinars are there. You can download from my site. And then I also have an Instagram account where as much as possible, I do free question Friday. So you can submit a question in the question box. I'll answer your question. Um, and you know, sharing sleep tips along the way and little tidbits about my kids sleep and things like that. But, um, yeah, so my website, lolololullaby.com and at lolololullaby on Instagram. Yes. I watch your, your free question Fridays. I love them. Yeah. (laughs) Um, all right. Thank you so much for being here and we'll have you back again soon for sure. Sounds good. Thanks for having me. Bye. I hope this episode will help take some of the pressure and guilt off of our shoulders as parents and allow us to create a healthier and more peaceful sleep routine. There is still so much more to cover with sleep. So if you have a specific question, head over to my Instagram page at Securely Attached Podcast and let me know what your biggest sleeping pain point is right now. And don't forget to check out my virtual course, The Authentic Parent, Finding Your Confidence in Your Child's First Year. In this six-week guided course, I'll break down the psychological principles of brain development, behavior, relationships, personality, mental health, resilience, and you guessed it, sleep. Lauren from this episode is actually featured as a contributor in the course with some really helpful tips that new parents can use to create more successful sleep routines for the entire family. Because as she said in this episode, it's about finding a strategy that works best for your baby and for you. To learn more and to sign up for the waitlist, head to my website, drsarahbren.com forward slash TAP. Space is limited, so sign up today to make sure to reserve your spot. And while you're there, you can check out my free resources, like a toddler sleep workbook targeted specifically to that age group, book recommendations for you and your little one, and a ton more. Thanks for listening, and until next week, don't be a stranger.